Chapter Two. The garden was dark; no moonlight shone. Darren stood among some tall bushes, nervous energy coursing through him. In Brian's name, he had sent Mianne a note beseeching her to join him after the court had retired. He chuckled at his own cleverness, recalling how she had cast those adoring glances at his brother, and Brian, the fool, not knowing what they were about, had stiffly inquired if she was feeling poorly. Oh, what sport! What mischief! Surely he thought, pleased with himself, this without a doubt ranks among the best of my ruses. He heard the watch change upon the battlements. One by one, the lights in the castle embrasures were extinguished. His legs ached from standing in place, and his hands were stiff from the cold. I should have taken one of Brian's cloaks. He thought, annoyed, the brown one. I, I like that one. He looked down at the doublet and leggings he had stolen from his brother's wardrobe. Now that I think on it, I like all his clothes better than mine. And this struck him as odd, for when it came to dressing, Brian had no flair. Just then he heard the gate creak open. He tensed and sank deeper into the shadows. His heart quickened, and suddenly the chill was gone. She is here, he told himself, elated. She is really here. Now remember, you are supposed to be that tiresome fellow you call brother upon occasion. He took one last look at his clothes. Satisfied, he rehearsed in his mind a clever couplet he had composed. I see in you a brilliant light that withers the bleak and darkest night. But as he said this, a new thought struck him. One that caused him to pause and reflect. Would what's his name say that? And this caused him to think of something else. Do I really want this to be like? He shuddered. Oh, to be like Brian? How will this better my standing with Mianne? Once tonight has passed, this led him to another realization. Come the morrow, she will still be pledged to Brian, and I will still mean nothing to her. His mood began to quickly sober. He considered slinking off and avoiding the encounter altogether. But just as he was about to do this, Mianne appeared on the path, and seeing her against the darkness, stole his breath away. Mianne peered about her, nervous, excited, and also a little afraid. Since the day she and Brian had pledged their devotion to each other, she had yearned for this moment, and now with it here. Actually, here she wanted not but to abandon all reserve. It was then her conscience chided her in a firm yet respectful way, reminding her no woman of her lofty station would have locked her handmaiden in her room and answered such a brazen call. But she did not care, nor did she listen. The time had come for him to speak the words she had longed to hear, those he might have spoken despite the presence of an escort, or whispered from a shadowy niche, or shouted to her lighted window from the darkened courtyard below. In truth, she had begun to think she would never hear them, not a single one. She recalled the ceremony and how he had stood before the throne, so handsome and erect. The moment he had extended his hand to her, she knew they would not be just a royal couple, but friends too, and eventually passionate lovers. And then, of course, had come the tapestry business, ruining the entire evening. Were that not disappointing enough? Their conversations thereafter had been strained at best. She could tell he was trying, but he was oh so 
terrible at it. She had wondered if she could bear the silences. But now, from out of her bitter disappointment, hope had taken flight. Perhaps the next ten years, as she sewed and sewed upon her tapestry, would not be barren loveless years. Perhaps, despite the delay in their marriage, she had found some romance to comfort her at night. She spoke aloud in a soft, tremulous voice. Dearest Amorous, God of love and premarital overtures, grant me this one encounter. Let his words of devotion flow like water from an urn. Let me drink so that I might sleep tonight with my thirst quenched. So soundly and so contentedly, I cannot hear father snoring next door. She closed her eyes and took a deep steadying breath, for her heart was already pounding at breakneck speed, and her head was dizzy with delight. O oh, joy of joys, O oh, sweet diversion! Tonight she was a young maiden trysting with her lover, and not a woman of noble birth who was expected to be above such passion. She scanned the darkness. Brian called Mian softly. She waited for a response. When none came, she called again. Brian, are you here? I came a hesitant reply. She gazed about the garden. Where are you? Behind the bushes. Why do you hide from me? Am I not alone as you requested? That I am hidden is but my way of being close to you. And how is that to be achieved? said Mian somewhat peevishly. In all the ways she had imagined their assignation, she had not once pictured herself addressing the shrubbery. The darkness. It is like a cloak, one that covers us both. He cares, thought Mian ecstatic. He really cares. Her first impulse was to rush into his arms. But then she remembered how he had so casually sentenced her to ten years hard labor at her loom. Keeping the sobering thought in mind, she took a deep breath to steady herself and answered as indifferently as she could. A cloak, you say, that covers us both. But how so? Like two strangers caught in a sudden downpour, making polite conversation until they can go their separate ways? No, my lady, not quite so impersonal. Then perhaps like an old married couple about to retire, their heads filled with thoughts of sleep and nothing else. Not so complacent either. Then how? Like the friend it is to lovers, he stepped onto the path, for that is what we are and what we shall always be. Though the darkness was like a veil between them, she could feel his eyes upon her, an intense stare that pierced her facade and lodged deeply in her heart. Are we lovers? Nothing more, nothing less. But in that simplicity lies all that is worthy to possess. Yet you are a man of obvious wealth and power, retorted Bian, attempting to regain the upper hand. I imagine those things are more important to you than something as intangible as love. Smart girl, thought Darren. For all my worldly goods, until the day I met you, I was the poorest man who walked this earth. Say the word, and I will give them up. My lands, my fortune, even my good name. You flatter well, my lord. It strikes me you have much practice. You think me insincere? No, my lord. I trust you believe every word you say, no matter how often you say them. Something changed in his voice, something she did not expect. For when next he spoke, it was as if his confidence had been stripped away. I, I've said these words before, over and over inside my head, while lying awake in bed. In bed, repeated Mia sounding unaffected, though despite her calm she was shocked at the mention. I, every night, thinking of the joyous moment when I could declare my love for you. But now, 
having allowed the words to escape my lips, they seem so trivial, so paltry, compared to the torrent that rages yet within my breast. I fear mere words may never suffice. He took her hand and pressed it hard against his chest. Oh, the agony, the longing, to have such emotions inside with no means to set them free. I am like a jailer locked in his own keep. And the only person near enough to hear his cries is the one person to whom he dares not speak. Oh, how she wished she could see him better. These things you say. I never dreamed you were so troubled. I hold a lot inside. Suddenly she felt ashamed. She had wanted him to shower her with endless words of love and devotion. Instead, he had shared with her something much more meaningful, the deepest feelings of his heart. Thus moved, she abandoned all thoughts of being courted. She wanted only to be as honest with him. I too have suffered, my lord. You have been so tight-lipped up till now. I was afraid you did not want me for your wife. Not want you? Dearest lady, you are the beacon that lights my way. When we are apart, I am plunged into darkness. I wander amongst the shadows like a wastrel, hopelessly lost and calling your name. Tears collected in her eyes. Then cease your wandering, dearest one. I am here now, and I will never stray. Thank the gods, cried Darren, pulling her to him. I could not have lasted one more day. The suddenness of the move made her gasp for breath. Feeling his body pressed against hers sent her blood coursing at a frenzied pace. In an instant her senses were reeling. Desire rose in her like a storm. She wanted him and might have succumbed to her passion if he had not at that very same moment lowered his head and nuzzled her neck. Her eyes popped open. He nuzzled again. It was indeed a delicious sensation, but nevertheless an alarm went off inside her, for even though she had abandoned the repartee, there were still certain rules of courtship that demanded his respect. Fawning was allowed, but only by way of a casual brush of the arm or a light touch of the hand. Nuzzling was most definitely out of the question. My lord, said the princess, breaking away, trying not to sound too scolding, you forget yourself. If I do, it is because I am intoxicated by your presence. Then, out of concern for your sobriety, I shall quit this place. She tried to leave, but he held her hand fast to his chest. Can you not feel how fervently my heart pounds? Wait. In a daring move, he slipped her hand beneath his doublet. Can you feel it better now? I, said Mian, suddenly light-headed, and each beat is a renewal of my love for you. She let her hand linger as she considered what next to do. Was a nuzzle so terrible a breach of conduct that it warranted ending such a glorious exchange? After all, were they not already pledged to be married? It must be so, conceded Mian. And then looking away, she added, for my heart beats in much the same way. Really? said Darren, sounding tortured. Yes, my lord, it almost hurts. Oh my, oh my, you must let me feel it. For a moment she was so shocked she could do naught but stare at his hand upon her breast. It certainly seems so. In fact, it seems to be increasing its pace. Outraged, Mian slapped his hand away. Sir, you go too far. I am not chattel to be handled coarsely. He tried to speak, but she would not listen. Save your words, my lord. There is nothing more I wish to hear from you this evening. She pivoted quickly on her heels. 
then marched straight for the garden gate, throwing it open without concern. She paused and faced about, and thank you on this, my lord, your hands will not touch me again for ten years, or at least until my tapestry is complete. If you find this not to your liking, perhaps from here on out you will think longer on things before you open your mouth. Upon this, she slammed the gate shut behind her, and disappeared inside the keep. Hang them all, shouted Darren. He was furious with himself. He was certain now she would never again consent to a private meeting. From this moment on, she would make herself available only in public, or if accompanied by an escort. Oh, you fool, you stupid, impetuous fool. You've gone and ruined any chance you might have had to win her. He tore some roses off their stems, ignoring the bite of their thorns. His anger far from satiated, he vaulted the garden wall. Once beyond the palace grounds, he stopped at a nearby tavern. After quaffing an ale in just three gulps, he caused a fight on purpose. Then, thoroughly thrashed but pleased with himself, he headed for the town brothel. Mian's outrage propelled her down a series of corridors before she realized she was heading in the wrong direction. She retraced her steps and found the great hall empty. The feast had been cleared, the tables cleaned. The raucous laughter that earlier filled the room had been replaced by an eerie silence. Even the fire that had blazed in the massive hearth had slowed to a mere showing. No one was there, save for the stonemason repairing the floor where the acrobat who performed that evening had laundered after a breathtaking but overambitious leap from the balcony, the very same balcony she had committed to decorate with an enormous tapestry. She stared at it, miserable, already feeling the ache in her hands. Wanting now to be away from there, she found the stairs to the central turret, then climbed to the second level where her apartment was located. She padded softly toward it, for around the corner were the royal apartments, and she did not want to be discovered. She reached for the ring on the door, but paused and leaned against the stone casement, thinking of the prince once more. He said he loved her, but if he loved her, would he have acted so outrageously? Perhaps he had acted that way because he loved her. She was very confused. It was then she recalled something her mother had said just before the betrothal announcement. Men, my dear me, are obsessed with sex. It's amazing they can accomplish anything. Even after all these years, your father still can't keep his hands off me. Though his hands are not as troublesome as, well... I'll leave the rest to your imagination. So, she thought, Bryant, for all his merits, had proven to be a typical man. And this annoyed her. Did he expect her to accept his advances? Had she no choice, no say in the matter? She was not like the women of her mother's day, who were content to be nothing more than an object of desire. She had learned to read and write. She had studied history and science and philosophy. Aye, she could think as well as any man, except admittedly when it came to mathematics. For some reason, no matter how hard she tried, she had no head for numbers. It was a pending fact Bryant would rule one day. She had hoped he would think of her as his partner in all things, seek his counsel, even implement some of her ideas. She would be most unhappy if all he wanted was her body, enticing as it was, and not her mind as well. 
Feeling troubled and confused, she reached once more for the ring on the door, and was about to enter when Bryand, the real Bryand, appeared around the corner. Well, there you are, said the prince. In his hand was a small frame. I've, I've been searching for you everywhere. It appears you have found me, replied Mian frostily. Uh, yes, uh, it seems I have. He stood for a moment, shifting his weight from side to side. This is so hard, thought the prince. I wish I knew what I was doing. He cleared his throat. <clears throat> you, uh, left so abruptly. Though he had meant the feast, she thought he was referring to their encounter in the garden. Abruptly? Really? I was not aware. <clears throat> I, I was concerned. I, I mean, I thought perhaps... He paused, conscious of the sweat bead rolling down his cheek. Say it, you ninny, he told himself. Ah, uh, did I... Do something to displease you? She shot him an incredulous look. I did, didn't I? I knew it. He struck the wall with his fist. Oh, I am such a blockhead, such a dolt. My lord, said Mian, somewhat taken aback. You need not punish yourself on my account. Oh, but I must. You see, I, I, I wouldn't want to offend you. Really, said the princess dubiously. Well, no, certainly not. Again he paused and squirmed a bit. Why, that would be hurtful to me as well. With you being so... so... He racked his brain for the right word. When it did not come, he chose... Agreeable. Am I? Said the princess, underwhelmed. Bryant saw this immediately, whereupon his shoulders slumped and he shook his head. I'm not very good at this as you can see. Give me a sword and a shield and I'm as comfortable as all get out. And a lance. Put a lance in my hand and... He saw the frown on her face. And he knew he was losing her again. Uh, right. Another time about such things. The frown remained. Uh, in fact, we never need to speak of them again. He thought he saw a hint of a smile. This he found encouraging. I wanted you to... No, I have... Uh, uh, well... Here, he handed her the frame. What is this? asked Mian, confused. The, uh, frame for your tapestry. But you asked for one the length of the balcony in the great hall. Yes, I, I know, but I've changed my mind. Ahem. <clears throat> uh, in my haste, I, uh, say it, he told himself. Go on and say it. I did not realize I was postponing my own happiness. It took a moment for the words to sink in. Once they had, she could not help but smile. Apparently, he loved her enough to swallow his pride and apologize, for that was what she took this clumsy overture to mean. Suddenly, all her worries vanished. Joy filled her heart. And leaning close, she kissed him lightly on the cheek. You have pleased me very much. I have, said Bryant, surprised. She gripped the frame tighter. I will work on this day and night. Nothing will keep me from my task. Oh, but I wouldn't want you to overtax yourself. You know, sometimes if I use my sword too much, this muscle here at the base of my thumb, but the sooner I complete it, the sooner we can be wed. And the sooner we are wed, the sooner we can... She lowered her eyes and smiled demurely. I think you know my meaning. I think I do, replied the prince, having not the slightest inkling of what she meant. Hold on, dearest one. To what? replied Bryant, looking about. Thinking his remarks somewhat suggestive, she smiled in spite of herself and cuffed him lightly on the cheek. You are such a rogue. Who would think it from someone so quiet? They shared a brief conspiratorial laugh. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> I believe it best I leave you now before you find yourself once more in trouble. Of course, said Brian graciously, though inwardly he was still confused. We certainly wouldn't want that. <laughs> she leaned in close and gave him a light kiss upon his lips. Then bidding him a tender good night, she entered her apartment and slowly closed the door. Oh, what a wondrous evening, thought Mian, lingering there, feeling euphoric. Thank you, Amorous. I asked for a morsel, and, out of your boundless generosity, you provided a ten-course feast. Enraptured, she hastened across the room and unlocked the door to her inner chamber, setting free her handmaiden, Jonna, who was very disgruntled and pouty. Ignoring the girl's protests, Mian pulled her to the bed and sat her down beside her, then proceeded to relate the entire evening's events. Oh, how romantic, said Jonna. She was a sweet girl with a pleasing face and long auburn hair that she wore plaited down her back. I think you've seen two important sides to him, and way before you've gotten yourself married. That is so, agreed Mian, delighting in her. And look at the wee frame he gave you. That'll take far less time than his first choice. Mian held it out, beaming. Wasn't that thoughtful of him? She hugged the frame like a long-lost friend. Then, surprising the handmaiden, she shot to her feet and rushed about the room, spouting, Quickly, Jonna, fetch me the loom, then bring the basket with the skeins of thread. Oh, my lady, you're not gonna start that now, are you? It's so late. I care not, answered Mian. I'll work day and night. I'll let nothing distract me. Neither hunger nor thirst nor sleep will keep me from my task. But what about, you know... Go and titi. Mian's eyes fell upon a vase. Empty that and bring it here. It should do for about a week. Brian, in the meantime, was still lingering outside in the corridor, trying to make some sense of the last few minutes. But finding their exchange all too confusing, he finally shrugged and started off for his apartment. Yet as he went, he found himself feeling more and more elated. So much so that by the time the prince had entered his room, he was humming a merry tune. Kawa, the family retainer, was not used to seeing his prince so unrestrained. Are you feeling well? my lord? The prince clapped Kawa squarely on the back, then threw himself onto his bed and folded his arms behind his head. Quite well, as a matter of fact. Bryant raised himself onto his elbows. Do you know something, Kawa? The retainer could not help but smile. What, my lord? I think I'm going to enjoy being married. He paused, a thoughtful expression upon his face. Father says lying with a wife does not always have to be for the purpose of procreation. What say you to this? Furrowing his brow, the retainer considered the question, then replied in a straightforward manner. Well, my lord, having indulged a few times, I quite agree. But keep in mind, marriage for royal folk is so much more complex. The objective is almost always to produce an heir. And of course, there are the obligatory picnics and state functions to attend. Bryant weighed the retainer's words. As a prince of the realm, he had always understood his life would be spent in service of the kingdom, and its needs would always be placed before his. But even royals could marry for love. He thought on this a bit, wondering if Mian might ever feel the same. It was then he recalled something she had said, something about her tapestry. But the sooner I complete it, the sooner we can be wed. 
And the sooner we are wed, the sooner we can... She had paused there on purpose, and now he knew why. What is it, my lord? asked Cower. You wear a look that is most curious. Bryant surfaced from his thoughts and smiled at the retainer. Tis nothing, I assure you. I simply realized how little I know, and how much there is to learn about women. Oh, 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 oh.